This morning, as we continue our journey here in the book of Ephesians, the 19th chapter already, hard to believe that we're already at chapter 19, and uh, we're going to get right into it here and uh, see what we learn. We're looking today at empowerment, we're looking today at imposters, and we're looking today at problems. We may not cover all those things, but uh, surfacing here in the text are those three things in this chapter. Uh, as you know, we sometimes don't always make it through a chapter because of the person on this end of the microphone sometimes uh, can be uh, a little verbose, and sometimes there are uh, connecting little 
trails off to the left and to the right down which we uh, traverse and uh, have to work our way back from time to time. But we will get as far as we can get this morning here in the book of Ephesians chapter uh, 19. Hope you're all doing well. It's hard to believe it's Friday already. Uh, we're going to have uh, uh, next week, uh, I, I don't know any reason why I won't be on every day, even though um, even though it's holiday weekend next weekend, I, I do think I will still be on on Monday morning, on the this coming Monday morning, the 3rd. Um, I think I'll still broadcast. I want to maybe try to see if I can't get us through the book of Acts uh, before I leave to go out west. So um, we're going to press on, and we're we are now 11 chapters away from the conclusion, so um, we will press on here. Let's get right into it this morning. It says, while Apollos was at Corinth, now remember, Apollos had been discipled, uh, and discipleship is a lifelong thing, just for the record. But he'd been brought along. His his uh, understanding of the gospel had been more uh, completely rounded out by Priscilla and Aquila. And he is in Corinth, uh, which is in Greece, uh, to the west of Athens. And he is there teaching and preaching. Uh, and while he is there, it says, Paul took the road through the interior and arrived at Ephesus. Now, Apollos is in Corinth, and Paul is now working his way from uh, east to west, back toward uh, Ephesus. And it says there he found some disciples. Now, Paul has not yet really spent significant time in Ephesus. He has been there. He has passed through. He has, you know, maybe he has spoken a little bit, but he hasn't spent significant time there. Uh, and so what it says, he found some disciples. There were people who'd heard the gospel either through Paul or through others that brought the, the message uh, to them. But it says he found some disciples and it says he asked them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they answered, no, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. And friends, that's many people in uh in our day, they don't understand. Now, maybe here in America, some of the West maybe have heard some of those things. Uh, I sat down yesterday uh, with Jacob Santos, our beloved pastor um, at Veracity Chapel, and uh, uh, with a, one of, a missionary that we don't yet support at Veracity Chapel, but we had a rich, rich time sitting down at Bell the Cat in Belfast, uh, for some coffee, and I had a little lunch, and uh, uh, it was so very enriching. But to understand the differences in cultures and what people know and what they don't know, uh, we're looking forward sometime in the month of September to doing an interview with uh, Paul Mackey, uh, and uh, who serves as a missionary in Japan. He's, he's home. I think this is one of the first little stints that they've come home here to the States, and uh, they uh, are members and uh, part of our dear friends at Christ the King Church, also here in the Belfast area. And uh, um, to th understand how uh, Japanese people see things compared to how we in the West see things and 
and things that we would say that just make logical sense to us here in the West, they don't communicate that way in Japan. Uh, and there are things that they don't know about or things in other places in the world that a missionary might go to that uh, that we would just we just kind of assume here in the West that they don't even have the the remotest of comprehension of the Trinitarian God would be an example that uh, those in, in, in parts of Asia uh, who live in animistic cultures uh, or spiritualist cultures that, that believe in many many different spirits or and sometimes not even calling them gods uh, but many different spirits. Uh, the concept of uh, the Holy Spirit, uh, Jesus the Son, and God the Father is completely foreign to them. We in the West just assume everybody around the world knows these things, and that just simply is not true. You know, one of the things I'm seeing growing in my life uh, is uh, a renewed love of missiology, and that's the study of missions, um, a renewed love of missions itself. Uh, growing uh, at uh, really exponential uh, nature within me, and, and I hope that I can press that into to people who, over whom I have any influence. Uh, that would be those of you who listen. Uh, that would be uh, our local church family here. While I still continue to have some influence there, as, as I move toward uh, uh, my last day as the senior pastor there, I, I hope that I can continue to be an influence in terms of missions at our local church. I hope that through uh, Concentric, uh, I will continue to have uh, uh, impact and influence in missions. Uh, in fact, I'm very excited about that component uh, aspect of my life uh, in, in the global aspect. And I hope that through our local college and seminary here, New England Bible College and uh, seminary that, that I can have influence, that we would have a robust love for what God will do around the world in missions. Uh, now, all of that comes out of the fact it says he found some disciples and he asked the question, did you receive the Holy Spirit? And they said, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. There is so much, friends, that we here in America or that we here in the West, Canada, down maybe into Latin America, South America, Western Europe, uh, maybe even Eastern Europe, things that we just kind of, um, I mean, a third of the world, perhaps, th that we just assume everybody knows. It's like I talk to Christians that just kind of assume that, well, everybody has a Bible. No. Uh, we met a young girl here the other day um, at, at our church that doesn't own a Bible, lives in Moral, Maine, and doesn't even own a Bible. So there is much that we don't want to assume that people know. Now, let me continue working down through here. It says, so Paul asked, then what baptism did you receive? John's baptism, they replied. Now, again, these are believers all the way, uh, several hundred miles away from, from Jerusalem, seven, several hundred miles away from, uh, maybe a thousand miles away from uh, the Palestinian area where uh, Israel is located. Uh on the Aegean, the shore of the Aegean Sea in Ephesus, uh, they had uh, undergone John's baptism. They had heard about John's baptism. They'd heard about uh, repentance. Uh, they heard about that uh, 
repentance for the remission of sin and the baptism for the remission of sin, perhaps had undergone John's baptism. And and Paul will explain to them here in verse 4, he says, John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. He told the people to believe in the one coming after him, and that is Jesus. And that is, you can you can hear the total inflection that I'm giving there. Uh, people, he is inflecting, he is saying to them, the one to whom John was pointing as he baptized people in his baptism of repentance was Jesus, and he is here. And it says in verse 5, he says, on hearing this, they were... They were baptized into the name of the Lord Jesus. It says, when Paul placed his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they spoke in tongues and prophesied. Now, friends, that is not necessarily the experience. Now, some would hone in on this, and I love these people, and some want to, you know, be at great odds with them. Well, friends, I, I will tell you where I'm personally landing in my life at this point. I am rejoicing where Jesus is loved and where Jesus is preached. That is where I'm rejoicing. And I, and I, I believe I'm in good company. Uh, I, I want to take you back for just a moment to the book of Philippians and show you what Paul had to say uh, about others preaching Jesus in other ways. Let me... Uh, let me take us down there and show you what he said. This is in the in the first chapter of the book of Philippians. I want you to see this. This is my conviction, and I guess because I'm saying it to you, I would want to impress this upon you as your own personal conviction as well. And I know I would stand against other pastors in some measure who who might want to be much more pristine and precise. Uh, on some of the issues, but I think they go beyond even the Apostle Paul in in wanting to be so precise on some of the theological, uh, more tertiary issues. This is what Paul says. I want you to know, brothers, that what happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. Now, Paul's talking about having been in prison. The gospel says, as a result, it's become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. I mean, it was absolutely evident to everybody that he was in chains for Christ. He says, because of my chains, most of the brothers in the Lord have been encouraged to speak the word of God more courageously and fearlessly. Paul saying that because I have not backed away from uh, communicating the word of God. I have not backed away from the gospel. The fact that I'm in chains and continue to speak and continue to preach encourages others to preach Christ. He says it is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, out of wrong motives, others out of goodwill, the latter doing so in love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing they can stir up trouble for me uh, when I, while I am in chains. But what does it matter? He says, verse 18, the important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice, and yes, I will continue to rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help given by the Spirit of Jesus Christ, that what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. Now, that, that's the Apostle Paul uh, uh, speaking about others who, who, who preach Christ in different ways. Now, I know there's heresy, and there is heresy. There's heresy uh, of saying that there is no such thing as the Trinity. Uh, there is heresy... Uh, 
of saying that, you know, we need to work our way to heaven. And in fact, I would go as far as to say there is heresy to say that one must speak in tongues to be saved. That is where some land. I don't land there. I, I think that, that that position is a faulty position. However, there are some who believe that uh, when, when a person comes to faith in Christ, they will, in fact, as it says here in Acts 19.6, they will, in fact, speak in tongues and will prophesy. And they will take parts of that. They will take parts of speaking in tongues, or they will speak, uh, take parts of prophesying and say that is evidence. You know, th- those things, if, you haven't, if those things haven't happened to you, that you're probably not saved. Now, I, I take issue with that. I, I don't think that is the truth. In fact, I know, I'm very convinced that is not the truth. Um, now, others that would say uh, that speaking in tongues and, and prophesying is a good evidence and that's something that believers should experience, uh, who, who don't say, well, if, if, if you haven't done these things, then you're not saved. I mean, if they're not saying that, but they're saying that an experience showing that you have the Holy Spirit is, is that you speak in tongues and prophesy, uh, and they love Jesus, and, and, and they go to their Bibles, and they're on their knees praying. I mean, oftentimes, Pentecostals are much more uh, robust in their prayer life and calling out to Jesus and wanting to walk with Jesus than, than those of us who are non-Pentecostal. And again, I put myself in the camp of not being Pentecostal. Um, and sometimes I think they've got something that we're lacking and friends, I, I think we need to ante up. I think we need to turn up the dial in the level of our own spirituality. I think that we need to turn up the level of, of, of our pursuit, our love for Christ, our desire for, for the work of the Spirit in our midst. I have not once spoken in a tongue. I have not once received what I would call a prophetic vision. I have visions from time to time, but Usually they are visions in my mind that perhaps are stirred by the Holy Spirit, but I would not call it a, a, an absolute definitive, you know, vision, clear vision that, that God has given to me. I have not, never not once had one of those in my life in 40, now almost 43 years of being a Christian. Uh, and, and I believe I too have the Spirit of God, and I believe any of you who have not spoken in tongues and who have not prophesied or, prophesied or have not had visions and yet love Jesus and are following Jesus and walking the ways of Jesus, you have the Holy Spirit too. As I have said before in other parts of uh, this study of the book of Acts, I believe this happened in this instance as a verification of the gospel in a new place. Uh, I think that these things could happen in new places in uh, 21st century America, uh, not America, to, in our around the world uh, in 21st century uh, living uh, as the gospel perhaps is preached in new places. I think that this substantiated for Paul and for others with him that, yes, these people also have the Holy Spirit. I believe that's why we read these things in the book of Acts. I don't think that it is uh, instructive uh, I or prescriptive might be another word that we might use, a prescription that was, that must that this is what must happen with anybody who comes to faith in Christ throughout all ages. I think it was specific to that age. 
Although I do also say that I think these things could happen in other places around the world. Yet, I would also warn any of us who want to go hard after those who are loving Jesus and who do speak in a tongue or who prophesy. Um, and I, I know I, I know the verses in Deuteronomy and the end of Revelation about do not add to this word. Well, the Deuteronomy passage then begs the question, what about the rest of the historical books and the entirety of the New Testament? That verse comes in the book uh, in Deuteronomy. It says, do not add to my word. So what about the rest of the Bible that's been added to the word? Or what is said at the very conclusion of the book of Revelation, do not add to my words. Um, that was spoken before the Bible itself was even canonized and put together and, and assembled as a Bible. They were still uh, tattered uh, letters uh, scattered about uh, of, I shouldn't say tattered, but scattered letters spread about, um, written by hand, copied by hand. Uh, and they, they did not have an assembled canon of scripture yet at that point in time. So, uh, you know, we, we need to understand even what a verse like that means. I love my brothers and sisters who are Pentecostal in background. Uh, as an example, my my dear brother, uh, Art Fairbrother is his name, pastor of Faith Temple Church of God right here in Belfast. I love that man. Uh, I, I love sisters whom I have here locally right in Morrill who are of a Pentecostal background and families of a Pentecostal background. They're loving Jesus. They're pursuing Jesus. They're trying to make sure that Jesus is known. Now, we might not be on the same page, but friends, um, I, I don't want to continue to labor this point other than we need to, we need to be able to discern, okay, now when is their, their honest heresy coming? A uh, heresy that pushes people away from the church, heresy that that uh, says, "Well, we're we're the true church, and everybody else is wrong." Uh, I, I to me, I, uh, at least a yellow flag, if not a red flag, goes up, and uh, when I hear things like that, um, and unfortunately, that is one of the the American uh, mentalities that occurred for for several decades at least uh, that, that would cause us to part company with others and the world rather than seeing the unity and the love for Jesus has seen the church divided and, and people you know uh, going to their little uh, cliques even if it's a church of two or three hundred people uh, I'll call it a little click compared to the body of Christ globally uh, we need to learn how to partner with the, the body of Christ globally Acts 19.6, they received the Holy Spirit, they spoke in tongues, they prophesied, and it's interesting, verse 7 says, there were about 12 men in all, how many were following Jesus? 12, uh, who were the disciples who became the apostles, just interesting numbers here. Uh, that's a great number for a small group, by the way. Uh, Jesus had a small group of about 12 people and, you know, uh, I, 10 to 15, which when people end up not being there uh, for a variety of events, showing up a small group, you have 12 people. Perfect number for a small group. I am a proponent of small groups. Uh, beyond that, as you know, I am a proponent of uh, discipleship groups that, that, you know, are asking at least a few questions. 
Who are you praying for that is not a believer? Uh, how are you cultivating? How are you planting? How are you seeking to uh, to harvest, to uh, to reap? CPR, cultivating, planting, reaping. That I think that should be a question in, in a disciple in a disciple making focus small group. That should be a question. Another question should be beyond what are you studying? What are you learning? How are you growing? And how is God at work in your life? I think another question is, so uh, what What other believers outside of our group are you seeking to encourage? Or even a believer within our group, are you meeting within a small group? There might be little groups, triplets, and I, I'm a big believer in triplets where you have three people. Two is okay. Three is better. Where, where there's some mutual spiritual accountability, where there's spiritual encouragement, where there's prayerfulness. Things of that nature, I, I think those are hallmarks, things that happen in a disciple-making church. You see things like that. And those are things, honestly, that, that we don't have in a robust nature in our own church, things that I am hoping will grow in our church. Uh, I will tell you that if I were to plant another church, which that could be in me, I, I don't know. We'll see how what what the Lord's leading is. Right now, it's a focus on a college uh, and uh, seminary as well as global partnerships. Um, if I were to plant a church, uh, I, I would not focus on a worship service set up and say we're going to have a worship service. I would not start that way. I would start with with a small group of people. We would not start with having lots of music and all that. We might have a guitar and a few songs, a keyboard and a few songs. That could be a part of it. Uh, but we would start on the disciple-making front of those, uh, that little, I don't have it here. Uh, who's your one? Who are your two? That now leads to the three. Uh, I, I would really focus on that and uh, nurturing within the life of the believers uh, those types of things that would uh, help them to to live out the gospel. Uh, let me see how far down I can go here. Let's go a few more verses, finish this section out. We'll come back to this Monday. It says in verse 8, Paul entered the synagogue, spoke boldly there for three months, arguing persuasively about the kingdom of God. Again, the necessity. This is this is why someone asked me, they did a radio interview the other day down in Brunswick, and they said, so why is Christian higher education so important? This is why. To be able to learn how to argue persuasively about the kingdom of God. To, to give a good apologia, an apologetic about the kingdom of God. Now, now not all of us have. In fact, I, this is not one of my great strengths. There are others far better at it than am I. Um, but to be able to, to stand in defense, to know what you believe. Oftentimes when you're talking to somebody who believes something differently, it presses you to think through why you believe what you believe. And friends, I believe we need to be able to substantiate what we believe biblically. We need to be able to go chapter and verse and say, this is why I believe this. There are a lot of statements that Christians make that actually are not substantiated in the Bible. Like God helps those who helps himself. That is not a verse from the Bible. It's not there. Now, there are some principles. Yes, we need to work hard and we need to apply ourselves. We need to practice self-control and, and, and be sober-minded and those types of things. There, there is an, an aspect of principle that is true there, but the statement, God helps those who help themselves, is not a biblical statement. 
God helps those who trust him. God loves those who fear him. God loves those who will walk with him. That's whom God loves. Um, let's finish this out here before we're at the end of my half hour. It says, some of them became obstinate. They refused to believe and publicly maligned the way. That will happen, friends. The gospel is not always welcome. So, so Paul left them. He took the disciples with him and had discussions daily in the lecture hall of Tyrannius. Uh, this went on for two years. He taught for two years so that all the Jews and Greeks who lived in the province of Asia heard the word of the Lord. Now, this is a rather substantial statement. The province of Asia, which we would now call Turkey, says all the Jews and Greeks who lived in the province, uh, in the province of Asia heard the word of the Lord. I have shared before that some estimate that that could have been as high as 20 million people. Think of the impact. I mean, we talk about Billy Graham and his impact perhaps upon a billion people or a few billion people in, during his time here. Here's Paul. He had no crusade campaigns. Uh, uh, you know, he had no forerunners establishing things. He had no churches to go to to partner with. He had no state. Well, they did have stadiums, actually, and in, in there lots of stadiums in their day. Um, they were all over the place, these theaters. Um, but but they didn't have sound systems. They didn't have microphones. They didn't have lights. They didn't have all that stuff, none of it. And yet, because of Paul's preaching, the gospel spread. It says, through the entire province of Asia, all the Gr Jews and Greeks who lived in the province of Asia heard the word of God. So substantial. Now, I want to invite you, friends. Uh, one of the things I am currently working on uh, is uh, I just finalized the details, and, and I could provide anybody who would want this uh, the exact and precise details of this. Um, preparing in the month of August uh, to help uh, our brothers uh, in South Sudan, brothers and sisters in South Sudan, uh, to receive the next level of training. I was there back in March, provided training, uh, and uh, now I have handed them off to to uh, to J Life Africa in South in uh, in Africa. Uh, this particular leader located in uh, Uganda will be providing uh, several days of more intensive training. Uh, to our brothers uh, from South Sudan, that they might uh, spread disciple-making movement uh, in South Sudan. And uh, I'm wanting to raise uh, $3,500 to help them make this happen. I mean, they don't have money there, friends. We don't understand. Uh, you know, $100 uh, is, is a big deal. It's like $1,000 or more uh, in some ways uh, over there. And so... This provides transportation. They can't afford it. And they, they really can't. You, you'd have to go there with me sometime to see it. Uh, it'll provide food for several days. It's going to provide lodging. It's going to you know pay for some of the materials and things like that. If you want to participate and share in something like that, uh, message me. Okay. I, I, I don't want to provide the link yet. I got to make sure uh, I've got the right link. Um but you can message me, and we will make sure that uh, that that money that we get you pointed to the right place, uh, so that we can assure that they get uh, the resources needed. 
I'm going to be away from the local area here within uh, a few weeks, so I, I really need to get something uh, buttoned up and sent off and make sure that they've got the resources. And I just want to tell you how to be able to do that if you want to share in that uh, that aspect of things. So let me know. Uh, and uh, here's the thing: I mean, you you can send you can send money, and I'm, I'm not opposed to this. However, the Lord leads in your life. You can send, you know, four or five hundred dollars to send one one kid to camp who may hear the gospel uh, and may respond to the gospel, uh, and that is all worthwhile. It may become a believer. We rejoice in that. Uh, but as I look at it, dollar for dollar, if I can, if for me, if I can send money, that's going to multiply uh, because I'm training people who are going to lead lots of people to Christ. Uh, to me, that's a good investment. And these people who are being trained will lead others to Christ and will teach them how. They, these, this is disciple-making. will teach others how to win people to Christ, and churches will be planted, and the gospel will be spread all across uh, South Sudan. And uh, so, fair investment. Uh, it's one of the things I wrestle with uh, living here in America uh, and, and knowing the needs of the world. Let me know if that's something you want to participate in. Some of you have already participated, and now you've you've helped with mission in Malawi and uh, seeing people get trained in Malawi and uh, discipled and encouraged and, and sent to a camp where they not only will hear the gospel, but will be equipped to be disciple makers. So thank you, those that have, have done that already. Thank you for your participation, your partnership in the gospel. Think of you, maybe you're not going to Malawi by extension, you're going to Malawi in your partnership in the gospel, or by extension, you're going to South Sudan by your partnership in the gospel uh, through through my broader concentric ministry. So thank you for that. Friends, it's the end of the hour. I need to get you into your day. It's the end of the half hour. It's not a full hour. Uh, so Lord, I pray you help us to think about uh, living in the fullness of the Spirit, that you help us to think about to how we disciple others. I, I pray you help us to do the hard work within the body of Christ that we need to do. I pray you that, that you would take those who at least listen to my broadcast, whether it's now or it's later or on the podcast, uh, at the Daily Discipleship Podcast, podcast, help us to be ones who embrace others who are genuine believers in Jesus even if we don't line up on end times or if we don't line up on the gifts of the Spirit, that we line up on our love for the Word of God and our, our, our Trinitarian belief uh, in the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, our trust in Jesus for our salvation, Lord, that we would uh, that we would partner together, that we'd love each other, and that the world would see that we are Christians by our love. Lord, hear our prayer, hear our prayer for our brothers and sisters in South Sudan and, and uh, India and the needs that they have. Would you provide for them, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, friends, been good spending some time with you this morning. Look forward to seeing you either over the weekend at Veracity Chapel uh, or again here on Monday. Have a good weekend, everyone.